and welcome to this week's podcast. This is Josh Carlson with Hilltop Community Church, and I just want to say we're really glad that you joined us today. If you're new to the church, make sure to visit us online at hilltopchurchnv.com and fill out one of the online connection cards. We'd love to get connected with you and just say hello. While you're there, you can also find out more information about the church, get connected with Bible studies, submit prayer requests, and even find other sermons on the website as well. Now, make sure that you have your coffee, have your Bible, and your notepad ready to go, because we're about to get started with today's message. This morning, we're going to be in 2 Peter chapter 1. We're taking a little break from the book of Revelation. I'll teach 2 Peter chapter 1 this morning. Don Bauman will come back and teach chapter 2 and chapter 3 in the following weeks. And then we'll go back to Revelation. You'll see some of the themes in Revelation show up in this letter uh, that, Paul, that Peter wrote. Excuse me, not Paul, but Peter. Uh, there's also a handout in your, in your bulletin. And in that handout, what I've done is I've got the entire passage that I'm going to read with you with some deeper explanation of some of the words that are in the passage, okay, along with a few application questions. And so there's a a fair degree of material to cover in this this morning. And so uh, I'm going to stick to those notes real close, maybe add a few comments here and there, but for the most part, just read what you have in your handout. Um, As we look at this letter written by Peter, uh, the Apostle Peter, who was an eyewitness of Jesus's ministry, his death, burial, and resurrection. He was personally called by Jesus to be one of his disciples and then commissioned by Jesus to be an apostle. We'll see that Peter claims to be an apostle. That is that word apostle is somebody that uh, was an eyewitness of the risen Lord Jesus and that was commissioned by Jesus to then share the gospel. And so that's who Peter is. Uh, The timing of this letter is shortly before Peter's death. We know that he died in 67 AD. Uh, There's different uh, uh, sort of histories, uh, things that aren't really written down, but uh, some ideas of maybe how Peter died. But we know that it was in 67 AD when the church was undergoing a fair amount of persecution under the emperor Nero. Uh, He wrote this shortly before his death. Most uh, most commentaries look at it and they say it was probably 63 or 64 AD that this was written. Um, it's possibly written from Rome. We don't know exactly where Peter was when he wrote it. Uh, we know from the book of Acts that Peter was in Jerusalem. And uh, then in Acts chapter 12, it says that he leaves Jerusalem, but we don't really get to know where he goes. Uh, we know he comes back to Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15. We know from 1 Corinthians that he probably spent some time in Corinth. But we don't have all the details of Peter's life as he uh, goes to different places. Most of that stuff is extra-biblical sources, um, and it's not tremendously well-documented. But we do know that there's a possibility that Peter was in Rome when he wrote this, and he wrote it to churches in Asia Minor, or modern-day Turkey. Um, Some of the themes that we're going to see in this letter, we're going to see that uh, he's really writing to remind believers of the truth of who Jesus is and what Jesus did. This is really big to Peter, that, that we would understand who Jesus is and what Jesus did. That's really what he wants us to understand. And that when we know who Jesus is and we know what Jesus has done, that would, that would inspire godly living. That we would be virtuous because we know Jesus. Um, not, not, not be virtuous to know Jesus, but we're virtuous because we know him. Because we have relational experience of knowing Jesus that causes us to live godly or virtuous lives. Uh, the other thing that he's going to do, and Don will get into this more in chapter 2, is he writes us to combat false teachers. So there was a lot of false teaching going on at that point in time. And so Peter is saying, hey, that's not who Jesus is. That's not what Jesus did. That's not the life that he's calling you to. Those false teachers, this is how you can spot them. And like I said, Don will get into that more next week. 
As we look at this this morning, Peter's going to give a greeting. He's going to talk about God's power in and through us, our own spiritual growth, what godly leaders do, and then what our faith is based upon. And as we go through this, here's kind of the, the general thing that you should walk away with, is that when you know Jesus for who he truly is and what he truly did, that will cause you to be different and live a godly and virtuous life. If you don't live a godly or virtuous life, that's an indication that you're not in fellowship with Jesus. If you're in fellowship with Jesus, you will live a godly and virtuous life. So we get to know who Jesus is and what he's done. It transforms us and we live a godly and virtuous life. And then that will cause us to make Jesus known. Okay, that's how that works. You know Jesus, he transforms you and you live a virtuous life and that virtuous life then makes him known. That's what we're here to do. To know him, to live like him and to make him known. That's what we're here to do. In that order, right? Don't get it out of order. Peter will tell you that's not a good idea. We know Jesus, we live different, we make him known. Then he goes on to say what godly leaders will do. Godly leaders will remind you of that over and over again. Know Jesus, live a virtuous life, make him known. That's what godly leaders will do. And they'll do it based upon what God has revealed in the scriptures. Okay. So essentially he gives us Christianity in 21 verses. Okay. We get to know Jesus. We're saved by Jesus. He becomes our Lord and our owner and our possessor, the guarantor of our faith. He transforms us and makes us different people. We live virtuous lives. We make him known. We're part of a body of believers that spurs each other on into virtuous living and making Jesus known. And then we do all that based upon the scriptures. It's Christianity in 21 verses. Anything other than what Paul reveals here, and that's what he's going to get into chapter 2, is there are a lot of false brands of Jesus um, based upon things that are not eyewitness accounts or God's word. And so that's what he's going to share with us this morning. That's what I hope you can see uh, as the spirit makes this known to us. Before I get into the passage, let me pray. Father, this morning we are thankful for your word and for the opportunity to come together and worship you. Um, God, I pray for, for our distractions to disappear as we focus in on you. Uh, on your son Jesus and what he's done for us. Uh, this Savior and Messiah, this Lord that you've, uh, you've manifested yourself among us. You've made yourself known through your son Jesus. And so I pray that we would see you clearly and be in awe of you. That you would then stir in us a desire to live a life that honors you, that is virtuous. Uh, live a life that makes you known. And we would do all this together based upon your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Josh, I don't know if it's at all possible, but these two lights are reflecting off my iPad, and it is super distracting. Um, okay, so I'll leave that up to you. But then uh, let's get into this passage. So 1 Peter, excuse me, 2 Peter, don't, don't go to 1 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1, it says, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith equal to ours through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so Peter opens this letter with a greeting. He calls himself a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. He recognizes that he is on earth to serve Jesus, but Jesus has also given him a unique and special position as an apostle, as an eyewitness who has been commissioned by the risen Lord Jesus to make him known throughout uh, all, of, of, all of his life and all of his travels. 
to establish right teaching and doctrine about who Jesus is and what he's done, to reveal through the Old Testament as the Spirit guided Peter how Jesus is the Messiah. But he goes on and he says you, that you, that these people he's writing to, and this is us as well, we've received a faith equal in honor to that of the apostles. That, that Jesus has chosen to allow us to share in the honor and privilege of knowing him. Do you get that? That knowing Jesus is an honor and a privilege? Uh, this is an honor and a, a privilege that Jesus would share with you the faith, the trust of knowing him, having a meaningful relationship with him, that this is an honor and a privilege. It's not something to be taken lightly, but uh, what a joy to know Jesus. We've received that faith equal in honors to that of the apostles and, and, and through the righteousness of our God. He's, he's given it to us through his goodness and his righteousness. Uh, that Jesus is our Savior, and that means that he's our deliverer and our preserver. He's the one who takes us out of the way of death and keeps us from it. That apart from Jesus, the cross was something that we should bear, that we would go there and suffer the consequences of our sin. And Jesus delivers us from those consequences and preserves us evermore from ever tasting them. We would never know God's wrath. He is our preserver. He keeps us from it says that Jesus is the Christ. That's the Greek way of saying Messiah. That Jesus is the Old Testament Messiah. The long-awaited ruling king who would reign over sin and death and deliver us into a new and royal kingdom that he leads and allows us to be a part of. He's that Messiah. He says, may grace, and that's undeserved favor. We recognize that what God gives us isn't something that one day he looked down and he said, this is the generation that deserves to be saved. But instead, he, we recognize that all of us are undeserving of what God has done for us. It wasn't that he looked down one day and said, today is the day that you deserve salvation. But instead, it's a gift. And so he bestows on us things that we could never earn for ourselves. He gives us the life of his son on the cross. And he dies in our place and for our sin. And he's risen from dead. And that grace just continues as it blesses us with a, we're going to see here, with the divine nature. He makes us new creations. We don't deserve this or earn it, but God, out of his goodness, wants us to have it. He wants us to have him. And as we have him, all of this comes with it. He says, may grace and then peace. That means harmony and freedom from worry. If you are in Christ, then you are at peace with God. You have harmony with him. If you are in Christ, you are free from worry about being judged by God. Because that judgment has been placed on Jesus. You no longer have to worry about the consequences of your sin. You no longer have to be timid as you approach God. But you approach God as a, as a child, as an ambassador, as a co-heir with Christ. And there's a, a boldness with which you can approach God now. You're free from worry as you walk to the creator and judge of the universe. That we would have peace and harmony with God. We'd be free from worry. And he says, I want these things to be multiplied in you through relational and experiential knowledge of Jesus Christ and of God. Uh, this knowledge, th there's things that we know. Like you can, you can say, I know stuff. This is, I know Jesus. Like I understand what it is to be taken out of darkness and into life. I I've experienced his love. I, I, I experienced it this morning when I woke and I knew he was with me and his spirit was indwelling me and he 
was going to guide my day. And, I, and I've experienced over the years as, I, as I've gone through different worries and trials and situations in my life, I've known his presence with me and I've known his power to transform the way that I live. I don't just know some stuff about Jesus. I know Jesus. And he says that he is our Lord. And that word Lord, it means secure possessor and guardian. If you are in Christ, he is your secure possessor. He holds you. He loves you. He cares about you. And he guards you. He looks after you. He wants to bring what's best in our lives. He corrects us when we need it. This is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus does. It's what he has done in saving us and delivering us. He is the Messiah, the, the rightful king of the universe. He has given us his undeserved faith and allows us to be harmonious and free of worry as we approach him. We've experienced this relational knowledge of knowing him as our God and our Lord. He has us and we're safe in him and we have what's best in him. And so as you read this, what stands out to you the most about Jesus? When was the last time you just sat and pondered who he is, that he's given you the honor and pr privilege of knowing you through his goodness and righteousness, that he's delivered you from sin, that he is the long-awaited Messiah, the ruler and king of not only your heart, but the whole universe. His grace is so big, it's bigger than anything you could even imagine or fathom, and he does things you couldn't even think to ask for. And, and now you have harmony with God the Father and freedom from worry. And Like, what stands out to you the most about Jesus? Do you know him in this way? It's a wonderful thing that God has done for us in making himself known in Jesus and saving us and making us his own and being with us and granting us life and righteousness. And so as we know Jesus in this way, what Paul says is that in verse 3, his divine power has given us everything, everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. By these he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. He says, this is who Jesus is. And listen, let me tell you what he wants to do for you. His divine power, his miracle working power. He does things that you can't understand through our finite ability to see the world. Uh, no matter how smart you are, Jesus has got you. He's bigger. He's bolder. He's, there's more to him than you can fathom. And he says that that miracle working power has given us everything required for life, to experience life in the fullness, in fullness and for godliness, to, to live a life with actions that honor God. He says that miracle working power, you know who Jesus is and you want to honor him. Let me tell you, he's given you everything you need to do it. And it's through the knowledge of knowing him. It's through understanding who he is and what he's done. And he's called us by his own greatness and renown. Do you understand how great Jesus is? He's, his power exceeds anything that you, like, like he spoke the world into existence. Uh, he, he formed man out of the dust. He, he keeps the world from breaking apart. He holds it together, as Colossians tells us, uh, that, that he is before all things. He's in all things, and all things were created for him. His greatness is, well, it's, it's greater than anything. 
And then he says that his own glory and goodness, Jesus has an excellence of character that you and I all long to know. The excellence of Jesus' character, his, his kindness and his love and his graciousness and his mercy and his truth and his justice, his power and his might, uh, his, his forgiveness, all of these things that Jesus is, they're too hard to sum up, right? Like we could spend all of our lives trying to sum up and still not get it. His character is excellent. It's everything that we long for. And he says he's called you to know him. He's done this by giving us very great, surprising, and costly promises. Uh, there were a lot of things that weren't understood about the Messiah. It was a mystery. Paul, Paul and Peter, they both talk about the mystery of, of, God, of, of the gospel. The mystery that God has now revealed in this age. They didn't understand how the Messiah was going to be both a suffering servant and a ruling king. They didn't understand how God was going to bring people like us, non-Jewish people, Gentiles, into the family of God. All these things were just kind of mind-boggling to them. And now we know them. They're, they're surprising, but they're, they're great. They're surprising, and they're costly. It took the blood of his son for this to take place. The life of the creator given on our behalf was costly. And through his resurrection, Jesus continues to give out of his infinite grace and his infinite love and his infinite wealth and wisdom, all the things that he has, the excellence of his character, these promises, they go on so that through them, you and I, who are in Christ, may share in the divine nature, the divine God-like character and disposition that when Jesus saves us and he dies on that cross and he went into the grave and he rose up from the dead, he rose up from the dead so that he could impart himself upon us that the Spirit of God would dwell in us and His divine character and disposition would start to take over our fallen character and disposition. That bit by di bit, bit by bit, day by day, we would be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And so His character and His disposition, the way that He thinks, the way that He, the way that he speaks, the way that He acts, the way that He loves, the way that He sees what's right and what's wrong, the way that He defines what's good and what's evil, all the things that God does, they become part of us until what used to be us is gone. He's done this with surprising and costly promises so that we could share in his character and disposition. And he says, when we share in his character and disposition, we escape, we go free from the destructive ruin that's in the world because of unfulfilled appetites. Evil desire, unfulfilled appetites. Augustine said it, our, our souls are restless until they find our rest in thee. There's this idea that inside each and every one of us is a desire for life, an appetite to experience, an appetite to know what's right and what's true, a desire to, to be fulfilled. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. If you eat me, you'll never go hungry again. I'm the water of life. If you drink from the water that I would give you, you'll never be thirsty again. He's saying to us that the appetites of our soul and the desires that he's put in us are met in him. And when we do things to have those desires met outside of him, he says that we're going to run into destructive ruin. And that's what the world is known for. The world is known for trying to satisfy and satiate the desires of our soul outside of Jesus Christ. And when we do that, it results in destructive ruin. 
And I could list a whole bunch of ways that that takes place. I'm not going to do that today. I'm going to let your mind go there. You can figure that out. Maybe you know what your destructive ruin is. Maybe you know how you try and fulfill the appetites of your soul without Jesus. And so what he's describing here is God's power in and through us. And so how would you describe the experience of being fulfilled by God's transformative power in and through you? Do you know what it is to have the desires of your soul met in Jesus? Do you know it? Is it a question mark? He's telling you that when you know him for who he is, go back to the previous verses, if you haven't experienced this, then you're not seeing Jesus as your deliverer, your Messiah. You don't understand his grace. You don't know what it is to be at harmony with God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You don't have the relational knowledge. You don't see him as Lord and your secure possessor and guardian. You're missing Jesus. And so I can point you to him over and over and over again, but you have to go there. You have to go to him. I don't have any other answer. I don't have a fancy speech. But we do have Jesus. And if you'll sit in awe of him as your deliverer, your Messiah, the king of the universe and of your heart, if you'll see him as your Lord, your secure possessor, then you'll experience this miracle working power that will create actions that honor God. You'll experience an excellence of character through these surprising and costly promises as his disposition becomes your disposition and you'll go free from destructive ruin of your unfulfilled appetites. But you've got to go to Jesus. There's no plan B. And since this is the case, he says in verse 5, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness. Goodness with knowledge. Knowledge with self-control. Self-control with endurance. Endurance with godliness. Godliness with brotherly affection. Brotherly affection with love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being useless and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election, because if you do these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be richly provided for you. Because you cannot find life anywhere other than Jesus, for this very reason, make every effort. That means bring to bear all eagerness. It means put your eagerness for Jesus into action. You see him for who he is. You understand what he's done for you. Put that love that he has given to you, put it into action. Don't sit on it, go. And the way that you can make every effort, he says, to supplement your faith. And here's an important thing. You're going you're gonna to furnish or support your faith with, and that word faith, is, it's important to know what that word means. It doesn't mean I just know something or I casually believe something. It's a trust, commitment, oath, and pledge. When I enter into a saving relationship with Jesus, I am entering into a covenant, an oath, and a pledge I make to him to follow him the rest of the days of my life. 
forsaking anything else that would get in the way of me having relationship with him. That's faith. Genuine faith says I make an oath and a pledge based upon your goodness and your glory and your righteousness and what you've done. I make an oath, Jesus, to follow you. This is my pledge. I pledge to follow you. That's faith. It's not something that you think simply or casually do. You mean it with the depths of who you are. So he says, I want you to supplement or furnish that, that oath, that pledge, that commitment. Do so with goodness. And that means an excellence of character. We just said that Jesus' excellence of character is what he wants to instill in us. And so we know that we don't do this on our own standards. But instead, we let Jesus instill his character in us. And then that goodness, do so with knowledge. And that's, that's interesting. That, that's what's known through inquiry and in investigation. Jesus is inviting us to inquire. Tell me more about you, Jesus. Tell me more about what's right and what's wrong. Te teach me more about uh, your, your love and, and show me more about your justice and, and, and reveal to me more about your creative power. I want to know you. I want to investigate you. Right? When, when you're committed to someone, you don't not pay attention to them. Right? You have a spouse and you're not investigating what matters to them. That's not much of a relationship. And so he says, get to know me. And then that knowledge, you want to supplement that with self-control. And that means mastery over oneself. We know that from Ephesians chapter 5, that mastery over ourself is a fruit of the Spirit. Uh, that, that the ability to overcome the desires of the flesh and have them squashed in us is something that only the power in, uh, of God can do through his spirit in and through us. This isn't something that you muster up the effort or make the right set of rules. You trust Jesus. You allow the, sp the spirit to empower you. And you'll experience mastery over your desires. Eventually, your desires will begin to match Jesus's. Self-control, he says, to supplement that with endurance. That means remaining in one's rightful place. Do you know your identity in Christ? Do you know that you're, you're not a sinner anymore? That doesn't define you anymore. You, you used to be a sinner by nature, but God's made you a saint, a holy one, and he set you apart. You can sin because of your flesh. You could give in to it, but that's not who you are. You want to remain and endure in the position and place that God has given you as a child and a co-heir and an ambassador. You want to live in the identity that Christ has given you, not the slumped over broken version uh, that was in Adam, but you take off the old self and you put on the new self and you endure in that new self. You say, this is who I am. This is where I belong. I'm not going to let anything that someone says about me or anything that mistake that I've made drag me back into this place of the old broken man, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to endure in Christ. I'm not going to move away from him and the identity that he's given me. This endurance, you want to supplement that with godliness. Those are actions that honor God. Our thinking, our speech, and our behavior should be things that honor what God says is good and right. That godliness, he says, to supplement that with brotherly affection, and that's a familial affection for fellow believers. Uh, when, when you have a friend and they do you wrong, it's pretty easy to just let that relationship lapse. When you have a brother and they do you wrong, well, you're bound. That has to be sorted out. And that's what he's saying, that this brotherly affection, that you, you get through things together. You don't allow your relationship to crumble or fall apart. You don't allow the evil one to divide. 
And he says that that brotherly affection, you want to supplement it with love. And that's God's unconditional, self-sacrificial love. And so you have this list of virtues that Paul says to make, excuse me, Peter says to make every effort to supplement your faith with. And they're not, they're not intended, this is, list is not intended to be exhaustive. There are other things that could be added to this. But Peter says these are things that if these are happening in you, and in verse 8, for if you possess, if you have these at your disposal in qualities that are increasing in measure, if this is the transformation of knowing Jesus that you're experiencing and you continue to experience this, they will keep you from being useless. That means lazy or idle or unfruitful, unproductive in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Basically, what he's saying here is if you aren't experiencing spiritual transformation, then you are going to become lazy in your relationship with Jesus and fruitless, unproductive in making him known. Uh, so we know Jesus. He develops his character in us. If he doesn't, oh, I know Jesus. I, I love Jesus. I'm not seeing his character developed in me. What's going wrong? I, I've actually become kind of lazy in my Christianity, and I'm, I'm seeing more sin than I am righteousness. I've actually become unproductive in making Jesus known. What should I do? Go back up. Get your eyes on Jesus. See him. Trust him. Believe in him. And also, there's an exertion of our will that needs to take place here where we say, God, I want you to develop these things in me, and I'm going to work with you rather than against you. Verse 9, the person who lacks these things is blind. That means unable to comprehend. They don't know what's right. They don't know what's wrong. And short-sighted means unconsciously seeing only the temporal. Their eyes have become fixated on only the temporal. They don't see the eternal anymore. If all you see before you is the temporal and you don't see God's grand picture of what he's doing in you and for the rest of the world, you don't, you don't have an eternal perspective. That's a, it's, it's something that's telling you your eyes are off of Jesus. That can happen to us in a variety of ways. The circumstances of our world could cause us to do that. Sickness could cause us to do that. Financial problems could cause us to do that. There could be all sorts of things that sort of cause us to only see the temple. And when those come along, Peter's reminder is get your eyes back on Jesus. when we become unable to see what's right and what's wrong and only unconsciously, it's not a choice you make, but you only see the temporal. He says that person has lost sight of the purification from his past sins. He's talking about a Christian living, in a, living a life that doesn't have eternal value. This is someone who is saved but isn't living like it. And so we want to see things for what they truly are. We can only do that, do that with the eyes of Jesus. Uh, we, want to, we want to see things beyond the temporal into the eternal. We can only do that through the word of God. You want to remember that God has purified you from your past sins. You have to do that by looking back to the cross and remembering what Jesus has done. And if we do that, he says, therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm. That means to validate, to prove to be right, 
and true. Your calling, that's an invitation and position. God has invited you and positioned you in his family, and that is his election, his selection and choice. He chose you, and you have a right to choose back. And so validate that. Prove it to be right, your invitation and position in God's family. Make this choice and selection of, that God has given to you as something that's real. Because if you do these things, he says you will never. And it's like a triple negative. Not ever, never. He says you will not ever, never stumble or be defeated. If you live in this victory that God has given you, there's nothing that will cause you to stumble. If you're united to Jesus and you see him for, true, for, he, for who he truly is and you're living in this virtuous life that he is instilling in you and you're experiencing this spiritual growth by putting forth your effort on your behalf to work with rather than against Jesus, he says this is going to cause you to be uh, productive, useful in making Jesus known. You'll see things for what they truly are. You'll see the eternal. You'll remember that you've been uh, purified from your past sin. You're going to then prove your position and calling and God's selection, and you will not be defeated. There, there's an element that God offers to us when we trust him of an undefeated life. That when we abide, and when we're walking by the Spirit, only what is right and true and good in Jesus comes out of us. When we don't abide and we don't have the Spirit lead us, only what is wrong and deceitful and of the old man will come out of us. And so there, there's, there's a portion of this that God is calling us and Peter's saying, make every effort. Don't spectate. Get involved. Don't be passive in your spiritual growth. He says, for in this way, interest, access, and acceptance into the kingdom, the forever royal reign of our Lord Jesus and Sa our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be richly provided for, for you. This is a, a reference to Jesus' return and that these are things that are given to us um, in the future and we don't do it again. There's nothing we do to earn them, right? He says that this is future and passive. God is going to grant you access into his eternal kingdom based upon what his son has done, not based upon what we have done. Yet, he wants us to make every effort while in this flesh, while in this body, to honor him. And so how do you balance the phrase, make every effort, with living in God's grace? Uh, how would you describe the exertion of your will in submission to the Holy Spirit? See, because God wants uh, our will involved. But he wants our will involved by saying, Spirit, lead me. Uh, my, my will isn't, God, I'll go do what's right for you in my own ability and strength. Uh, it's, God, Spirit, I submit my will to you. And whatever you want to do, I will say yes. And so that's what he's calling us to. Peter knows that we're going to forget this. And so in verse 12, he says, Therefore, I will always remind you about these things, even though you know them and are established in the truth you now have. I think it is right, as long as I'm in this bodily tent, to wake you up with a reminder, since I know that I will soon lay aside my tent, as our Lord Jesus Christ has indeed made clear to me. And I will also make every effort so that you are able to recall these things at any time after my departure. 
Uh, he says, uh, basically what he's saying here is, I know you're going to forget, so therefore I will always remind you. And that, that word always means for eternity. So he's telling us he's going to do it in his bodily tent, but I think there's also a place on the other side of this life where Peter's going to say, do you guys remember? <laughs> do you remember who Jesus, I mean, he's right here, we're with him, but do you remember what he did? Do you remember how he went to that cross? Do you remember how he saved us from our sin? We should probably worship him. Uh, do, do you know that he rose from the dead and his grace now gives you new life? I think what we should do is we should worship him. We should honor him with our lives because he deserves it. Don't you guys feel this? Aren't you excited about it? He says, I think this is right. This is fitting to the situation as long as I am in this bodily tent. That word just means habitation. He's talking about as long as I'm in, in this, this, this earth suit that God has given me, this flesh, I think it's right for me to wake you up, to, to stir up and excite you with a reminder. Like, guys, I get it. All this other stuff around the world is cool and some of it's really distracting and, and we can get pulled all these different directions. But don't forget about Jesus. Like, he's your deliverer. He saved you from death. He preserves you from death. You'll never experience God's wrath because of Jesus. He rose from the dead to give you a new life. He's your Lord. He's your possessor. And he, he guards you. Do you remember who Jesus is? Oh, come on. Like, like, don't stand there with your hands at your sides while we sing. He deserves worship. Amen. Right? He deserves us to validate our calling with our lives. Uh, th that we would look at what Jesus has done and we would see who he is and we say, this isn't some casual God. He wants me. He has me. I should probably live like it. I should probably submit my will to the Holy Spirit so that his godliness, actions that honor him come out of me. And so he says, I think it's right for me to stir this up and excite you with this reminder. He says, I know that I will soon lay aside, be rid of this tent, this body, as the Lord Jesus has made it clear to me. In John chapter 21, Jesus tells Peter that he's going to be bound and not get to go where he wants to go, and then he's going to give his life for the sake of the gospel. Peter recognizes that this is going to happen soon. So he says, I will also make every effort so that you are able to recall these things after my departure, my death. And that's probably when he said, I should probably sit down and uh, get this stuff on paper. And then he reveals that when he went to put this stuff on paper, that it was the Spirit of God that led him. Verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly contrived myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Instead, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him, when, a vo when the voice came to him from majestic glory, saying, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice when it came from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain. We also have the prophetic word strongly confirmed, and you will do well to pay attention to it as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you know this, no prophecy of scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so he says, I'm going to make every effort for you to recall these things, and so I better get this stuff pinned to paper so that you can. And, and so uh, as I do this, I want you to understand that myself and the fellow apostles, we didn't get together and say, how could we come up with a story that makes Jesus the Messiah? Maybe that'd get us killed. 
They didn't do that. Instead, they said, that's not what we followed. We didn't obey or pursue these slyly concocted tales so that you could be tricked into following Jesus. No, we saw his wondrous power. We understood that when he came, it was the arrival of the king, the Lord Jesus Christ. We were watchful observers of his divine glory. And he's referencing there the transfiguration in Matthew chapter 17. We saw when he received value and honor and glory and prestige from God the Father when God spoke and we all heard it audible uh, that, that he was his beloved son in whom he's well pleased. We know that Psalm chapter 2 verse 7 said that the Messiah would be his son and chapter 40, uh, Isaiah chapter 42 verse 1 said that Jesus would be, the Messiah would be a servant in whom the, the, the God was well pleased. And so when we heard these words, we heard the echo of Psalm chapter 2 and Isaiah chapter 42, we knew that Jesus was the Messiah. We heard this while we were on the mountain with him. And then beyond all that, we've seen the prophetic word confirmed. Jesus rose from the dead. We touched him. We walked with him. We ate with him. We watched him ascend into glory. He commissioned us to tell you this. The prophetic word of the Old Testament about who the Messiah is, we've seen it confirmed. Not maybe, not if. We were there. And so he says that this word has been confirmed and we would do well to pay attention to it. And what he does here is he gives a couple of Jewish idioms. But the point is that if you don't believe me, then search the scriptures because they're, they're, they're more certain than my experience. That's what he's saying. The scriptures are more certain than experience. Uh, that if you want to know who Jesus really is, you can search the Old Testament. You can look at what it says about the Messiah. You can see the prophetic word confirmed in what Jesus did and who he claimed to be. And, and that... Uh, you shouldn't put your experience on top of the Bible and make it say what you want it to say. Because the Bible is more truthful than your experience. And we have to recognize this as humans, that we can be tricked, we can be deceived. It was the first thing we did well. We got tricked and we got deceived. And so we still can fall prey to this. And what God has done to us with his word is it says that no prophecy of scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation, but instead men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so you have the doctrine of the inspiration of the scriptures in a succinct statement that God moved through human beings to pen what he wanted penned and then he preserved it so that it could be encapsulated in the book that we call the Bible so that we could know God and we could understand what is right and true and good and more important than any of that we could understand who is right and true and good and his name is Jesus and so what we have to be careful not to do is to be tricked or to trick ourselves because we could be tricked and somebody could tell you well I think fill in the blank and it doesn't match what scripture says or, I think, and they twist scripture into saying something else. That's actually what Satan did when he tempted Jesus. All three times he tried to twist scripture into saying something that it didn't say. And Jesus said, no, that's not what the Bible says. And so we have to be good at this. We have to be able to say that's not what the scriptures say. But instead, I've read it. I understand it. I'm growing in understanding it. And in understanding it, I understand God. And so I can divide what's right and what's wrong. I'm not tricked by every wind of human doctrine. Because the Holy Spirit is guiding me in the scriptures. Biblical faith, it's Jesus, who he is and what he did, based upon God's word and the Holy Spirit guiding us in the pursuit of Jesus through God's word. That's Christianity. 
And so that phrase, the scriptures are more certain than your experience, would you disagree or agree with that statement? Because I can tell you right now, there's a lot of people. You say, are you, are you a Christian? Totally. Does the Bible inform what you believe? Sort of. I'm, that's most people who would say, yes, I'm a Christian, say sort of. Parts of it. The ones I like. The parts I don't like or that go against culture. And so what Peter is saying as we go through this is if you want to live the authentic Christian life, if you want to be gripped by God's grace and you want to hold fast in your faith, then know Jesus. And when you know Jesus, he is going to transform your character into a partaker of the divine character and disposition. He's going to make you totally different. And then his virtue is going to shine through you. And as his virtue shines through you, you're going to make him known. And as you make him known, you're going to experience victory in life. And as you experience victory in life, you're going to say, we should probably do this together. This is awesome. You guys want to join me in following Jesus and experiencing victory in life? We should do this. This is exciting. I don't know why we get distracted by things like football. It's kind of weird. Like, let's focus on this. Let's focus on Jesus. What are we doing with our lives? Come on. Like, he's the Messiah. He saved us from death. He's our deliverer. He, he's our Lord and our guarantee. He holds us and loves us. And then he gives us virtue and he makes us like him. And he totally transformed who I am. I don't know about you, but I'm not the same person I was before. And he's growing me in this transformation. And then as I do this, every once in a while, I get to make him known to somebody. And they then come into this relationship with him too. It's the most glorious thing I've ever seen. Somebody getting to be saved and know Jesus. And so as we do that, like, man, this is victory. I want to live in this victory. And so, come on, let's go. Let's do this together. But let's not forget that there's people who would trick us. There's these false teachers in Peter, 2 Peter chapter 2. So what we're going to do is as we pursue Jesus and we pursue virtue and we pursue making him known, it's going to be biblical. We're going to base it on Jesus, his word, and the Holy Spirit's going to do this through us. You guys with me? That's Christianity. And so what Don's going to do next week is he's going to tell us what some of the opponents of that are in these false teachers. Let me pray with you. Father, we thank you for our time in your word this morning. What a, what a blessing it is to live in a country where we can do this freely. I've talked with a few people in different parts of the world, and they don't get to do this. Um, they have to sneak around, and it's something they have to do uh, kind of behind closed doors. And we can, we can be here together in this country. We thank you for that, the liberty, the freedom of sharing uh, the pursuit of you together. Uh, I pray that as long as we have it, we would, we would use it wisely. Give us wisdom and understanding how to, how to enjoy this freedom, to share this freedom, and to bring people into relationship with you. Jesus, you are amazing. You saved us from death and sin. You paid the consequences out of your own blood. You rose from the dead to prove that you are the Messiah and to give us new life. You are worthy. And so, Jesus, will you develop your character in me? Will you develop your character in us? And then, God, will you give us opportunities to make your son Jesus known so that many people can come into salvation? We want to live in that victory. We want to be excited about what you do. And we want to do all this based upon who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, God's word, your word given to us, and the Holy Spirit empowering us all the way. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Thanks for tuning in and joining us today. We hope that this message encourages you to continue taking steps towards seeking and understanding God's truth. The dream is that Hilltop is a home for the growing family of God, and we're so glad that you are a part of the family.